Dear God, I thank you, Father, that it is well. And Father, I pray that today in this service, Lord, that you will help us like the chorus said there, or like the bridge said, Lord, to let go and to trust in you. God, I'm thankful that the winds and the waves still obey you. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you will have your way in this service. Father, that you will speak to your people, your church, your congregation. God, that you will help me, that you won't allow me, Lord, to damage your word. Help me to rightly divide your truth this morning. Father, don't let me to destroy, don't help me, help me not to destroy your image. As I stand before God, use me as a vessel to speak to your people this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, you may be seated. You hear that? <laughs> 50th anniversary of the Westland Church, that was a cool video, wasn't it? We've done a lot of things uh, in 50 years here or in, in the Westland Church, and, uh, but the thing that stuck out to me the most was how much more work we still have to do. I think he said 50 billion people cannot make an informed decision to follow Christ. And so I hope we, today's sermon is going to really help us to, uh, it's so appropriate that uh, that was in the video because I believe today's sermon's really going to help us to uh, understand why. I mean, why we, uh, there's still so many people out there. We're going to unpack some of this stuff and talk about it. Uh, but let's dive right in to uh, Ephesians 6.10. We're going to read this together, 10 through 18. We're going to, we did pretty good in the first service, but we're going to try it in the second service too. Ready? Go. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's give God a hand for His Word this morning. <clears throat> so... We established last week, if you were here last week, we, we talked a little bit why, about why we have to fight, the reasons we have to fight, that just as the scripture said, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers of the air, principalities, rulers, and of 
authorities of darkness in this present age, in this world. There are powers in the air. We, we don't fight against each other, but we fight against the powers in the air. There's darkness that wants to destroy us, that is after our souls, so we, we have a reason to fight. That's wanting to destroy our families, destroy our kids, steal, kill, and destroy, and take them away from God. So we have a reason to fight. A couple of weeks ago, Blake covered the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. And without truth, we know that if we don't have the belt of truth, then we really have nothing to fight for because we fight for the truth. We fight for the truth of God's word. We stand on the truth of God's word. Our, our society, our culture has put us in a confrontation with the truth. I said just last week, I believe it's coming, uh, coming a point in time for the Christian church, a true child of God, that you will have to stand on one side of the truth. I believe we're being forced, and I believe it's really the hand of God forcing us into a position that you will have to choose. If you call yourself a Christian, I believe you're going to have to choose and show God by your choices about what you support in this country. I believe we're, we're all being kind of forced into that. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, how we're to guard our heart and and that if Satan can get to our heart, he can destroy us because where your heart is, there your treasure is also. So if he can get to our heart, he can destroy us. So we need to guard our heart. We need to always make sure that we're in right standing uh, with God. And it's this next piece of armor, the third piece of armor listed in Ephesians, is called the shod of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I said, well, you know, you really don't hear much about this piece of armor. When you think of the armor of God, probably most of you can say the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, uh, the sword of the spirit, or the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Those are so, I don't know why it is, those are so much easier to remember. Maybe because there's only like three words in there. They say in, in the Super, when you're watching the Super Bowl, all those commercials that they show, they say that you have to keep the human mind every three seconds something has to change to keep the human mind to keep our attention it has to change so maybe it's because there's only a few words in there we can remember those kind of things but man when you when you go to remember the shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace it's like man there's a lot of words to spit out right there so it's not we don't really talk about this particular piece of armor much we don't really hear about this particular piece of armor, but it's not to be neglected as a very vital, important part of the armor of God. And so I believe that I believe that there are three pieces. There's three. The, the the word shod literally means shoes. If you some translation it says the shoes of the preparation put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace so in in other words it's like a pair of shoes that we're going to put on as a piece of the armor and I have to admit I, I, I love shoes uh, I just I really do like shoes uh, I, I have a fascination with shoes I I have a lot of shoes I really do I, I I'm ashamed to say, but I probably have probably a hundred pairs of shoes somewhere in the ballpark. 
and I don't know why, just it's a sickness. It really is. I, I'm, I'm a sick person. If there was a 12-step program for people addicted to shoes, I would probably need to sign up for that program because, I don't know, I just like shoes. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I'm not shoe poor. You know, I don't like shoes so much that I'm, like, addicted and, and I'm spending all my money and we can't pay the bills and I'm, you know, but I like deals on shoes. So if I, I, I see a pair of shoes and it's like $20, it's like, oh, man. I like those pair of shoes. I need to get those, you know. And so I'll end up buying shoes. And you can ask my wife. I've got like a pile of shoes in my closet, y'all, like that high. I got two uh, two over the door rack shoe holders. I've got like two of those full of shoes. I've got one of those that you slide under the bed, you know. I pull it out and I got shoes in there. I'm sick. I'm sick. I've got a lot of shoes. And it's a problem, but I love shoes. I think shoes are like, uh, like rims on a car. You know what I mean? You can have, uh, you can have a, a pretty nasty, ugly-looking car, but man, you put a set of rims on that thing, and don't know something about the rims take away from the ugliness of the car. You ever notice? You might see the car, and you're like, man, that car is banged up, but man, look at the rims on that thing. They got more in the rims than they got in the car. You know what I'm saying? And it takes away from the ugliness of the car. So I think that's how I feel about shoes. I feel like if I've got a pair of nice shoes on, it'd take away from the ugliness that you see on my shoulders, you know. And I know some of you are saying, it ain't helping you today. Try another pair next week. But really, I think I love shoes, and I, I really do have a problem with shoes. Y'all pray for me. I need, I need professional help. If, and, and you know what? We're in America. They may have a 12-step program for this. So if y'all find out about it, make sure my wife knows. But how many of you know shoes matter? It matters what kind of shoes you wear. If you're going to go hiking you might want to wear some hiking boots or you might want to wear uh, some sort of hiking shoe because you're going to be going up into the hills and rough terrain and you want to wear proper shoes. If you go running, you, you want to wear some running shoes. If you go to the beach, you want to wear some flip-flops or something, you know. I don't like flip-flops, so I'll, I'll wear Crocs or something. I don't like wearing flip-flops or anything like that. I like shoes, but I don't like any of those kind of things. I don't like flip-flops or sandals or stuff like that. So I'm not going to spend much money on that. But shoes matter. If you don't think it matters, just ask a lady that wears high heels all day. If my wife wears high heels all day at her job or if she's gone all day, maybe she, maybe she makes the mistake and goes to the mall and shops all day in a set of high heels. I can promise you when she comes home, shoes going to matter. Shoes are going to matter because her feet are going to be killing her. So, so shoes matter. If, you, if you're going to walk around the mall all day, same way with men. If you wear loafers all day, hard bottom loafers, I promise you at the end of the day, your feet are going to be killing you. My, my son, Preston, 
Uh, he loves for me to use him as an illustration in my sermons. Uh, he, he actually made a deal with me not too long ago. He, he gets mad, actually, when I use him. And he said, Dad, when you use me, you got to pay me. <laughs> he said, you know, I know, you know, God's give you this. And, you know, and I'm giving you some really good material to use in your sermons. So I need some compensation. So I think we made a deal. I have to pay him a dollar. Every time I use him as an illustration in our, my sermons, but he's saying five dollars, but I'm saying one. But anyhow, he he can't stand to wear a shoe tight on his foot, and so every pair of shoes he has is loose. I mean, he flops them. You know, you walk and they just flop off his feet, and I'm like, and, and w anywhere we go, if we walk very long. It's not very long. It's not an hour or two into wherever we're at. He's complaining about his feet hurting. And I'm like, well, tie your shoes. Put your shoes on tight. Tie your shoes. You can't walk around with your shoes flopping off. That's your number one problem. Put your feet on. Put your shoes on and tie them tight. Put your feet on. But it matters that your shoes fit firmly. It matters that your shoes fit you snug. So that you can, when whatever you're going to do, you're able to do it and not have to worry about the shoes flying off your feet. So your shoes need to fit firmly. Boxers put resin on the bottom of their boots in the ring so that they don't slip and slide all over the ring when they're, when they're fighting, when they're boxing. And if you read much about boxing and, and training, they train you in boxing or martial arts or whatever it is uh, or any of that stuff. If any kind of fighting, they train you that it, your stance matters. Your stance determines how, how much power you can put into a punch. A knockout punch will come from the stand that you have. Really, look it up. It's training 101. If you don't have the right stance, if you don't have the right shoes, if you don't have the right shoes on your feet, you can be knocked over. You can be defeated. You got to have the right shoes. You got to have the right stance. So, how are your shoes holding up? I believe God has given us three pairs of shoes here in one. Three pairs of shoes in one. It's, it's like heaven for me. It's three in one. But I believe that God has given us the shoes. The first pair of shoes I believe God has given us is the shoes for battle. I believe that you, your feet have to be firmly planted in God's Word. The Roman soldiers, I put this picture up here because I wanted you to see what a Roman soldier's kind of boot-like sandal looked like. And if you notice, it has spikes on the bottom. These are called hobnails, and they would put those in there. And, and because a lot of times the Roman soldiers would be in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So it mattered what kind of stance they had and they would take those spikes and they would dig down deep into the ground so that they could go to battle and they couldn't be knocked off their feet. Because if they were knocked off their feet, they were subject to doom. They were subject to defeat, being killed because they weren't firmly, they weren't firmly grounded. They weren't digging down deep in the ground to keep their stance. They weren't digging down deep to keep them 
in the battle and keep themselves from being knocked off their feet. It's the same way with the child of God. If you're going to be, if you're going to be in this battle, God has given us shoes for battle. And we're to keep our feet firmly planted in God's word. Dig down deep. Get your stand real good so that you're not knocked off your feet. Because if you're knocked off your feet in the battle, it doesn't matter if you've got the shield of faith. It doesn't matter if you've got uh, the, the breastplate or the helmet. It, none of those pieces of armor matter when you're, how many of you know it is easier to fight on your feet than on your back? So you have to stand firm in God's word. You have to stand firm in God's truth so that we're, we're ready for the battle. We're not knocked off our feet and vulnerable unto defeat. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. It matters that we have the right shoes on, but then it matters where your shoes take you. You know, just like the word says here, we were saved. God set us free from the slavery of sin. But if we're not careful, we're subjecting ourselves back into the yoke of slavery. If we're not careful where our shoes are taking us, we're subjecting our lives back into the yoke of slavery. We have to be careful where our shoes take us. Where are your shoes taking you? Some people, their shoes take them in places they got no business going. I don't know where that's at. Maybe it's to the friend's house that you got no business really hanging out with. Maybe it's to the clubs or the bars or somewhere like that that you got no business going with the shoes of righteousness, with the shoes of peace, with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Maybe your shoes are taking you places you really shouldn't be going. And some people go to those places because they don't know the word of God. They don't know that the word of God tells them they can't go there. They don't know because they don't read They've got to get in this book and understand that the word says it clearly, you can't do this. Some people go places, some people's shoes take them places because they don't know it's wrong. And I advise you to get in God's word. This is a an instruction manual for everything you need to know about how to live your life. We've got to get firmly planted in God's word if we really want to know where to go in life. If we really want to know what kind of shoes to wear, we've got to get firmly planted in God's word. But then there's, there's some people who know God's word and yet go places that they have no business going. And I wouldn't be in your shoes for your socks. Because the Bible says it's better for a man to have never known the truth than to know the truth and turn his back on it. So if you know the truth of God's word, you need to pay attention where your shoes are taking you. And make sure that your shoes are firmly planted in God's word. And I just want to say this real quick. I've heard, you, you hear all the time, and we've joked around a little bit about it yesterday and, and uh, during the Rhett Walker concert. If you, if you weren't able to come, it was pretty cool. It was kind of loud, but we had a good time, and we worked all day long. We were here from some of us 11 30 to 10 30 last night and so we're kind of tired but 
uh, God has given us breath this morning to, uh, to thrive, amen, and so we're still here, and, but we had a good time, and, and we were talking around amongst ourselves yesterday about convictions, you know, and how, how uh, some people have convictions that I might not necessarily have. You know, and you hear that all the time. Well, we work out, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You hear that all the time. You hear people say, well, that's just, I'm just not convicted by that. And I understand that, and I believe that that's true. I believe that there's certain things that can convict you that might not necessarily convict me and vice versa. But if the Word of God says it clearly that it's wrong, it's no longer a conviction it's the word of God. It's the truth of God's word. You can no longer say that's conviction. For instance, if, if the word of God says it's wrong to commit adultery, you can't say, well, I'm just not convicted by that. I'm just not convicted. If, you know, adultery really doesn't bother me. God's okay with that. No. No, if it says it's wrong, it's wrong. And I know that's a pretty black line right there to say adultery. You know, yeah, man, that's like the law of God. But what about gossip? What about backbiting? What about stirring discord among the brethren? It's just as black. It's just as down the line as adultery is. God says, in, in Proverbs, God said he, he hates those that stir discord among the brethren, that shed innocent blood. What about the things that we support? What about the things that we don't speak out against and we really don't? It, if the word of God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's, not a, it's, not, it's no longer a conviction. And the only way we know what the word of God says is we have to get deep, deep into it. So our, our, our feet, our shoes have to be planted firmly in God's truth and in his word. Second, I believe that God has given us a shoe of preparation. A shoe of preparation. I believe that uh, I believe that every child born again Christian should be engaged in evangelism. Some sort of way it is our job to tell others about Jesus Christ. The word preparation here literally means ready. He's given us shoes of readiness to be ready at any given time to tell somebody about Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, when God saved us, he commanded us to tell others about him. He commands us to tell others. When he saves us, he com the first thing we're commanded to do is tell others. And I tell you what, this, this is horrible. We, we fall short so bad in this, in this area, telling others about Jesus. I, I, I just thought, well, I'm just going to look up some statistics. I love to look up the statistics when I'm doing sermons just, just because I'd like to get a feel for where we're really at here in the church. And so these guys, these Barner research groups and some of these other research groups, they get together, they do polls amongst the Christians in our nation, and, and this is what they find out. Statistically, 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. 95%. No wonder we still got 5 billion people to reach. 95%. 
of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. And less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. Less than 2% of God's church, the born-again, believing Christians, child, children of God, actually engage in, in relationships to share their faith actually get next to people at their workplace just so they can create an open door to share their faith. Do you know what's, you know what's eventually going to happen to the church if these numbers keep dwindling? The same thing that would happen if we all stopped having children. <laughs> if it's our job to tell others, then we are, we are really falling short. And, and I'm a leader of the church. I'm one of the pastors here. And there are many other leaders in this place. Lay ministers, ministers, ordained ministers, uh, licensed ministers. There's leaders of our different departments. And before we get a big head and thinking that we really do, do better at this and we really do a great job at this, I wanted to read you some of the statistics that this same research company did on a certain denomination, not ours, because, of course, the Westlands are so much better than that, right? But this particular denomination, they did a, a, a poll upon this particular denomination amongst their leadership in this denomination. And 63% of the leadership in this denomination have not led one stranger to Jesus in the last two years. 49% of the leadership ministries spend zero time in an average week ministering outside of the church. And 89% of the leadership ministries have zero time reserved on their list of weekly priorities for going out to evangelize. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's really a two-fold statement there. You go and you witness and you win the lost and then you train them up. You try to disciple them. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. And here's what's funny is 99% of the leadership uh, of this church or this denomination has been believe that every Christian, including leadership, has been commanded to preach the gospel to the lost world. So every 99% of the church believes yeah, we should preach the gospel. Yeah, we should spread the gospel. Yeah, we should be telling, but the statistics prove that we don't do it. And we've got 5 billion people who need to know Jesus Christ. It's sad. It's sad. And God has given us the shoes of preparation, including myself. It's sad. I, I mean, why don't, why don't we share the gospel? Why don't we get out there? Why don't we tell? I believe that telling others about Jesus and sharing the gospel. And listen, I'm not saying go up to somebody and say, hey, you know Jesus? I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to, we've got to develop relationships, get next to some people, and maybe invite them to church. Maybe that's a good way of opening the door. But we've got to get next to people and, and invite them. But you know what happens is Satan He's, he's trying his best to keep 
the kingdom of God from advancing. He, and that's a, that's a way of advancing the kingdom is telling others about Jesus. So Satan is doing everything in his power to keep us busy, to keep us wore out, to keep us wore down and going all the time and, and go, 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 go. How many of you go, 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 go? Come on now, all of you go, 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 go. It seems like you ain't got a minute to spare. I mean, we were so busy yesterday that we were, uh, you were here at 11.30 and we were, man, we were go, go. I'm talking non-stop. We were go, 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 go until about 11 o'clock last night, I believe, we got home. And my wife was so tired this morning. <laughs> She's going to love this. My wife was so tired this morning that we got to church. You know, she had to be back here at 8.30 so that she could be a part of a children's church meeting that they were having across the way there. And she's in there, she's doing the meeting, and I'm over here studying, you know, just looking over my notes and, and getting ready for the, for the first service. And the worship team's practicing, and she walks in after the meeting, and she walks down to me, and she says, so how's it, how'd it go? I said, how'd what go? She said, you're preaching, how'd that go? I said, well, ask me an hour, I'll tell you. She's like, oh. I, what am I thinking? This is what I'm saying. We get so busy. We can get so busy doing church things that we're not effective for Jesus at all. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and do church well. He didn't say go and make sure your worship team's on point and doing their best and all. I mean, I believe all that stuff matters to him. But if that's all we spend time on, if that's all we do is make sure those things are perfect and good and we're not reaching the lost, it's in vain. It's in vain. I love church and I love, I love doing church and I love seeing people and I love being a part of church. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of God together. We're to, put, we're to come together and be a part of each other and fellowship with one another and feed off each other and encourage each other. But if that's all we do, then we're not reaching the lost. We certainly need to be praying for the shoes of readiness, the shoes of preparation. Third, I think God gives us the shoes of peace. Gives us the shoes of peace. And in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, and in the midst of all that's thrown to us in our lives, I believe God wants us to have peace that's beyond circumstance, wants us to have peace that's above any tragedy, any darkness, any, anything that Satan may throw at us. I believe he wants us to have peace. And live in peace. But these shoes, just like the shoes for battle, the shoes for preparation, and the shoes of peace, is something we'll have to pray on and put on and walk in. It doesn't just happen. You have to walk in peace. The only way that we know the peace of God is through His Word. And I believe that He wants us to have peace. In one sense, I believe Paul is telling us you, you, we need to be ready, prepared to, to share the gospel. And, but, in, but really, I think Paul is saying you need to stand in peace. This is how a person that can get uh, uh, diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and told you, you only got a few days to live can be overwhelmed with peace. Because God 
gives them that peace. God gives them that peace. But it wasn't always that way. The Bible says that before we were saved, we were enemies of God. But because of salvation, because of Jesus Christ, he saved us and reconciled us to himself. And now, the Romans 5.1 says it this way, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace is something we have to wear. It's something that we have to walk in. And God has given us the shoes of peace. It is the glorious truth that we have been made one with the Lord. So having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace means that we stand in absolute confidence that God loves us and that he has forgiven us and that we are united with him and he fights for us and all is well with our souls. It is the confidence that we are saved. When we have that confidence, when we possess that kind of peace, there is no enemy strong enough to overthrow us. There is nothing that can stand against us. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. But he gives us peace. He wants us to walk in peace. I'll close with this story. Many of you have heard the story of Horatio Spafford. Maybe not many in this room. I know in the earlier service, there was probably a few that had heard about it. But it bears repeating if you've ever heard the story of it, of Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford... Uh, was a Presbyterian layman for Chicago. He had established a very uh, successful legal practice as a young businessman and was a devout Christian. Among his close friends were several evangelists, including the famous D.L. Moody. Spafford's fortune evaporated in the wake of the great Chicago fire of 1871. Having invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan's shoreline, he lost everything overnight. In a saga reminiscent of Jobs, his son died a short time before his financial disaster. Just two years before his business burnt down, his son died of scarlet fever. But the worst was yet to come. Desiring a rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing, joint, wishing to join and assist Moody, he had some business stuff that he had to take care of. So just like any other man who's been through a loss of my business, I just lost my son to scarlet fever. Horatio decides, I need a vacation. I need to take some time off. And me and my family, my wife and my four daughters, we just need to go uh, take a vacation somewhere, get away, take a break. So they, he puts his wife and kids on a boat to head to Europe while he handles some business things he had to take care of. He was going to join up with them later. He puts them on a boat, sends them to Europe. They get halfway there over the Atlantic Ocean and another ship hits their boat, sinks that boat, kills all four of his daughters. His wife was the only one that survived and they, they found her floating on a piece of the ship in the middle of the water. They took her to Europe. She got to Europe and she uh, immediately sent a telegram to her husband with two words on the telegram. It said, saved 
alone. So Horatio has just lost his son, his business, and his four daughters. Everything. He decides he needs to get to his wife as soon as he can get to her. He gets on the next ship. He heads out. He gets, and, and, and they tell us that as he got over the area of the ocean where his, the ship sank and killed his four daughters, he began to pen the words of the famous song, It Is Well. When peace like a river attendeth my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, Horatio knew something about peace. He knew something about peace. He had peace that was above any kind of circumstance that Satan would throw his way. He knew something about peace that, was, that would pass all understanding. And he had the shoes of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's only one way that he could rise above that and have peace and write such a famous song. Is he had peace that passes all understanding. Do you have that peace today? Julia was not here uh, she was miles away, our, our worship director. She was miles away in Florida when I was doing my sermon, and she was putting out the music. And she had no idea that I was going to share that story. And she chose this song, It Is Well, which Horatio Spafford wrote a big portion of this song. So I've asked them to come, and we're going to close this way. If you, if you don't have that peace, I want you to stand with us. And maybe you're here today, and you don't have that peace. Maybe you're here today, and your shoes take you to places that you shouldn't be going. And you need to come, and you need to pray that God will give you the shoes of readiness, the shoes for battle, so that you can battle those things. Maybe you're here, and, and, and you seem like you just have it all together, and you pay your tithes, and you pray, and you read. But you can't seem to win, it seems like. Maybe you're fighting it in your own power. Maybe you need to come and ask God to give you that, those shoes of peace. The shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace. They're going to come, they're going to sing this out, and then we're going to pray. But if you, if you feel led to pray, this altar is open for you today.
Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you offer us your peace, God. Lord, I pray that each and every person in this place, though, would walk in your peace. Lord, if there was ever a time that the church needs to walk in your peace, it's today. Lord, it seems like the world is falling down around us. It seems like, God, we're in an absolute moral decay in this nation. And, Father, your church is in turmoil. God, we're quiet. We need the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. God, help us to wear them. Help us to apply this to our life, God. Help these statistics that we heard here today, God, stir something in our hearts. Help us to know the need to tell others about you, God. We are your mouthpiece. We're your only mouthpiece here on earth. So, God, I pray that you'll help us, God, to apply this word to our lives. I thank you. I praise you for this day. Go with us now and keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Don't forget the uh, giving boxes on your way out. Thank you. And you're dismissed. What? What? Sign up for ice cream.